0: Welcome back to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. As always, I am Justin and I am joined by
1: Rainy Day Beth,
0: Grandio Sam, who be Caleb. Hi, Caleb. <laughs> yeah, we are back here once again uh, for an eight chapter long section. We're, we're cranking through <sighs> the chapters here today. Uh, for the middle chunk of part two, cloth and glass, and really seeing some some interesting developments this week in Hero of Ages, cruising through vignettes. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit of a, a sense of. I, I think this makes more sense when thinking back on one of the things that Brandon mentioned in the annotations that we covered a couple weeks ago, where even across pov jumps the timeline is continuous and so if all these things are happening roughly at the same time we're going to be jumping around a lot to see them all so yeah definitely a a little bit scattershot in what's going on here today
2: before i get started i do want to uh point out that we have been directly lied to uh we had eight full chapters here and justin we still don't know what the fuck is the deal with counting the skulls. You promised we would be getting that answer really soon.
3: <laughs> yeah, still no answer.
0: I may have slightly missed how far that was. Hopefully we got enough other stuff to, to distract us, though.
2: Oh, yeah, no, I still enjoyed the chapter uh, uh, Chapter breakdown. I just, It is going to be very funny if, Justin, you are massively misremembering and it's like, where the Well of Ascension actually physically appears in Well of Ascension is when we find out what the deal with the skulls is.
0: I hope not. I also hope not. I hope I did not miss it by that much.
3: <laughs> it's the epilogue when, when uh, Vin and everybody are sitting all together and, and Vin's like, Hey, Spook, what was that about the skulls?
2: <laughs> we solved everything, but I feel like I'm forgetting
1: just one thing. <laughs> Spook says, Oh, Vin, I'll tell you right now. And the book ends.
0: Perfect. It's exactly how it's going to go. <laughs> All right. Yeah, let's uh let's see what we did get up to here. Answers about skulls notwithstanding.
1: <laughs> That's a good sentence. <laughs> yeah, answers about applaud. skulls notwithstanding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd have that on a mug or something.
0: Please don't make me open an always another podcast merch store.
1: I <laughs>
2: Maybe one day we actually can. I don't want to treat that like that's a bad idea from the I mean outset. it's a cool
0: idea. It's just a never mind. We'll we'll talk later. <laughs> we'll talk about this at
1: home. Merlin's shirt. Merlin's shirt. Oh god. Okay.
0: <laughs> Write these down for later, please.
2: <laughs> We've got bits. We've got bits we can we can mercantilize on.
0: All right. I'm going to launch us into our our chapters this week. Uh, Yeah. So lots of chapters, I think most notably actually means lots of epigraphs. We had, uh, we had quite a few things that we learned in our segment this week, Uh, starting off with some, some Allomancy knowledge, uh, talking about the fact that the, the early Allomancers and therefore in a related way, Elland, were much more powerful than what we see nowadays. uh, And that, the um in particular the emotional emotional mind control, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, of Chandra and Kolos were more widely accessible to Alamancers. Okay.
3: I'm okay with this. Uh I- I'm glad yeah. it's not Ellen is more powerful because he's a Mary Sue. I'm glad there's an actual yeah. reason.
2: <laughs> I think it's been hinted that the chicken nugget is what is the specific reason why he's so powerful um and i do think it also is interesting that like ten talked about how terrified all the chandra are of alamancers, and the idea that if they've been around for that long it's because they're remembering back in the day when it was probably super easy for all the alamancers around mm-hmm. to take control of them and whether or not they know or maybe it's just kind of a cultural understanding but the irony of in this era, the average Mistborn actually probably couldn't do too much to a Chandra that an average person already couldn't, um, because most Mistborn in this era would need Derelement to do anything incredibly dangerous from what we've seen.
0: Yeah, there's some interesting, um, I know Brandon has talked about the idea of uh, magic in fantasy being hereditary, and the implications of that simple fact that aren't always followed through on. Uh, and we get one of them here, which is that over the years, uh, it's going to it, it's going to um, come and go as as hereditary traits do, and overall probably get uh, less powerful. So starting into uh, chapter twenty one itself, we get a two word answer to the question that we ended our last segment with with uh Demo survived. So there you go. Yay.
1: <laughs> all of yeah, our questions will him. be answered.
0: <laughs> all all the
2: questions from the first two volumes. Um I I like Demo, so I'm happy that he survived. I do think there is some juicy Ellen content to if Demo had died because mm. I, in this particular segment I feel like we don't quite go as in-depth into the idea of it's necessary but it's still a little bit messed up that we have to just resign ourselves to this amount of casualties um and so i think tying demo to that adds a very big personal emotional weight to it and so having him survive takes a little bit of that that sting out of it um but again i like demo so i'm happy
0: he's still around I think I agree with uh, with both sides of it. There of, I also like demo, and it would be a very interesting story beat had this gone the other way.
3: I also really like how every time we talk about the inoculation, we the joke is that we're skirting around the easy jokes. Yeah, things
0: that uh, read differently in current year.
3: <sighs> <laughs> and we continue. <laughs> i
2: mean it's not like a one-to-one thing though you know like it's (laughs) an easy joke to make but when you think about it it's not like the book is anti-vax or pro-vax or anything what it really is saying is if there was no vaccine or any hope of a vaccine then we should have covid parties so that we get inoculated quicker (laughs) but that's not the world we're in so we don't have to worry about doing something like that (laughs)
1: We do, in fact, have vaccines that are safe and effective.
2: Yes. Oh, God. Which is why we we don't have to do messed up things like this, like just shrugging our shoulders and saying, well, if they die, they die.
0: (laughs) All right, then. (laughs) I don't know how to segue out of this.
2: I think the mist is a hoax. Have you do you know anyone personally who's died from the mists? I, I don't know. To, I don't know if I've I have
1: to I have to go. <laughs> I can't. I've got to go.
0: Perfect. I'm glad we got I'm glad we got that audible <laughs> Beth actually just walking away. And and now we can continue. Uh we can continue to Vin attempting more scholarship, which she's had more success with than I think she would have predicted. But is is not overall a fan of.
2: She's she's getting better. The skills have leveled up a little bit.
0: She has gotten potentially uh some relevant worldly experience that uh helps give her a new perspective on some of this scholarship. Because she's reading about uh the deepness and the events in Alendi's original logbook, and having now been through what happened at the well of ascension looks at these a little differently now
2: and speaking of looking at them differently a very interesting note that perhaps complicates our our some of our epigraph theories is that Alendi was not a Terrasman; he was from Clinium. and we also see in his logbook that he has the verbal tick of comma i think that is in the little paragraph excerpt we get um. So perhaps not everything is as cut and dry as it seems.
3: Mm.
0: It was also a thousand years ago. So like as a very amateur linguist, I'm now thinking about like tracking these little linguistic things over time. And I know Brandon did not go into this much depth in this case, but now I kind of want to.
2: Yeah. Well, it made me think, cause there is the line of like uh, Tensum talks about how like, the Contra try to talk like the Lord ruler did, um, back when he first made them. And that was another thing of like, I wonder if linguistically there would be similarities there. And if saying, I think is a terrorist thing, then shouldn't all the Condra also say that a bunch. Um, so it is interesting to kind of look for little connections there, um, with the Contra thing. I didn't like actually notice any, but that is something I've been kind of keeping an eye out for.
0: Mm-hmm actually funnily enough uh, save that thought on brandon probably didn't go this far linguistically in depth we will very tangentially revisit that later this episode okay <laughs> but yeah she's uh, she's going back through the the logbook uh with the additional doubts imposed of one cannot trust anything not written in metal which includes this paper copy of the logbook and the original for that matter uh, and two, if she discusses any of her theories out loud with anybody, then Ruin can potentially overhear them and uh, and take
3: action from there. So it puts her in a very difficult place. She's apparently made peace with the fact that uh, Orsor was Tensun, or vice versa, I guess. Because um, she's like, oh, I always had Tensun to talk to. Like, He was lying to you.
1: Do, <laughs> Quite yeah. extensively the whole time. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I forget if I
2: brought this up last episode, but it is wild that, like, yeah, she's not that hurt by the betrayal. Honestly, she's really just kind of missing the fact that she had someone to talk to about this sort of thing.
3: And then we get a podcast name drop. You beat me to it, ha.
0: <laughs> we uh, we get Vin thinking back to what it was that Kelsey always said, uh, which is, of course, there's always another secret, which remains true. At this point and will remain true for a good bit longer.
2: Yeah. Throughout this thought process, Vin also talks about, like, well, even if I wanted to tell Ellen, he's very busy with his politics. And for the record, a large uh uh portion of the problems in Well of Ascension was Vin saying, Well, Ellen's too busy with politics for me to bother him with this. Um, so maybe maybe don't continue with that line of thinking. Maybe in some regard, share your ideas. And perhaps you will, perhaps later in this section.
0: Perhaps in fact, uh, she does get to, uh, in a way, uh, get some help by talking to Ellen uh, just by talking about other kind of things that help her form these thoughts. Uh, she talks about uh, the things that she taught him about about Allomancy. Which are some of the things that Kelsier taught her. So there's a a fun, you can kind of see the the lineage of of these characters that we've we've seen as Alamancers, uh, and they talk about the the consequences of Alamancy and, and how there's always a push and always a pull, uh, which Vin is now tying back to uh, to ruin as kind of a, a an embodiment of. Of consequences in a way of things inevitably happening, and so uh, what's you know, that kind of kind of clicks for her is is what is the consequence, what is the pull to this push or the other way around? Mm. It doesn't perhaps uh, go anywhere quite yet, which because Vin is again stymied by the fact that she can't get all of the info to Ellen, uh, but it's it's a start.
1: I like all the little callbacks that. Hero of Ages does to Mistborn specifically. Because one, it is, you know, thematically and characteristically, yep, we're going with it, appropriate to like what our characters are doing now, the legacies that they're struggling with. And also, it just feels like a good, like some good finale stuff. (laughs) That was an eloquent thought. But like, you know, this is the final book. We are wrapping things up and like, we're going to get a little flashback to this speech from Kelsier about we're thieves and extraordinarily good ones. And it, it just it throws a little warm and fuzzy feeling into the midst of all this grimness. I agree. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: we also throughout this conversation have a couple points where Reen shows up and goes, Hey, don't you want to say out loud what you're thinking, Vin? Don't you want to tell Elland what you're thinking? He sure doesn't trust you. You should tell him everything. You should talk out loud right now. Um, which is an interesting thing for Reen to be thinking about.
0: Reen's advice definitely does not seem like the uh the healthiest mental state for, for Vin to be in.
3: No, Reen's generally not a good time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thus far. Yeah, also not in a uh in the best mental place here is Ellen who you know, we we discussed extensively in the first couple of episodes. It's not great the things that he is uh is doing in the way that he's ruling uh and it turns out that some of this has been weighing on his mind as well and there's a question of the does the fact that he thinks it's a bad thing absolve him of any of this or like it, can he just say like it has to be done and and i'm going to do it and i feel terrible about it but that still doesn't change the outcome it's
3: so strange that 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 he's so regretful about signing a bill that prevents parents from hiring someone to beat their child to the to death's door it's very on the nose it's not like a small thing or like something with a knock-on effect it's like nope this is child beating i regret the child beating bill yeah that's uh
0: you don't get it. It's a very clean, cleanly posed question. Like we can see all the, the pros and cons right there. Pros. We have answers in our army. Cons. We literally have to beat children.
2: Yeah. So the children yearn for the beatings says Ellen.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, snapping is interesting. Snapping is a, is a very, It's a component of Allomancy that, uh, you know, causes interesting plot to happen, for lack of a better phrase.
2: We also, in the middle of this, get a little tidbit of Ellen says that Set says things Tynduil used to say. Never in my wildest imagination would I have guessed (laughs) that in Hero of Ages, people would be like, yeah, Set's pretty much uh, Tynduil 2.0. I really did not expect the comparison between those two characters.
0: I really like the the position that Set has kind of made for himself. Like, by all accounts, he he lost the war in the last book. And now he's he's kind of gone, well, I guess this is this is what I can do. So he's he's advising Ellen in, in some respects. Uh he's still kind of a grumpy bastard in other ways. Uh <laughs> but he's got like he he's got these little bits of like surprisingly helpful advice. It I I like it.
1: You know the crew is really getting pared down. We need a replacement Tinwell. We need a replacement Clubs. Seth's got the range to do it all.
0: <laughs> with uh, with that conversation also wrapping up without any uh, firm answers, we have the arrival of a, a new character, the uh, former Obligator Norden, uh, who is uh is smiling happily and vin <laughs> thinks back to the days when she would have said that a smiling obligator is a bad thing uh which is a direct thing that she said way at the beginning of final empire uh but this <laughs> is apparently just a friendly guy we've yeah. seen Norden before he was we a have. yeah in he was in political he was proceedings in... right 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 yes yeah <laughs> but now he has uh he has perhaps taken a uh a slightly larger role he's he's gotten a promotion You know, we, we know that they like their promotions. Even the end of the world
1: can't stop the smile. (laughs) Yeah. And with that in mind, I,
2: I kind of have to wonder exactly how much it's a very honestly optimistic view to be like, huh, it's weird. Maybe an obligator can be a good person after all. The way I see it is Norden probably doesn't really care who he's serving, he just is happy being in charge of like numbers and papers and stuff. And I don't know if that makes you a good person. If you can happily work for the Lord Ruler and then happily work for Ellen, that doesn't make you a good person. It just makes you an uncaring one about the scruples of your leader.
0: So so what you're saying is that nice is different than good?
2: Absolutely. Uh,
0: Absolutely. Beth and I did in fact see into the woods just a couple of days ago.
2: Yeah, and you know what? Sondheim was on to something. Mm.
1: It turns out that was a smart guy.
2: Yes, yeah. <laughs> sure was. God bless.
3: <laughs> also, how dare you badmouth accounting, Caleb? Cuz that's just what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's uh he's just doing his books here. He's just doing the books.
2: I'm not saying it's good or bad.
3: Oh, you want to know a fun... Okay, I'll make this 30 seconds, right? Um, If you are an accountant who is auditing a company and they are dumping toxic waste into a river, you cannot report that to the feds, but you can report if they haven't built up a slush fund to pay off the fine if they get caught. That's, that's very specific.
1: Very specific.
3: <laughs> it's only bad if they haven't accrued the liability. <laughs> All right, that's,
2: then. That is fascinating.
3: Yeah, I just <laughs> love accounting. It's, that's what it
0: is. And there's your 30 seconds. Perfectly timed. Love it. Yeah, so the the bookkeeping that Norton has been doing here uh, is the outcome of uh, letting the army stay in the mists. He has been cataloging the, the number of sick and the number of dead uh, among the whole army, uh, which works out to, of the uh, roughly 38,000 strong army, uh, a, just shy of 6,000 got sick in some way, uh, and a bit over 550 were uh, the, the ones who died. So those are those are the hard numbers that are the
3: outcome of the decision that Ellen made. Five hundred and fifty men dead. Exactly. Sixteen percent, which is four twenty-fifths. You multiply that four twenty-fifths by four, and you get sixteen out of a hundred, which is sixteen percent.
2: That's that's yes. That's
3: yes
0: true. these are all thank you for this uh numerical assistance here. <laughs>
1: that's not a counted spray at work
0: there you go <laughs> uh the the fact that they discover uh is that when you when you look very specifically at the total number who were affected out of the total who actually could have been affected the ones who hadn't been in the mist before uh it was to the person exactly 16 percent, which is uh is strange and when they start looking at uh, at subgroups, it remains exactly 16%. Uh,
2: Justin, a little bit back, we talked about the witness a bit, and you mentioned, yeah, there are, there are like designs and symbols in the witness that you will start to see in real life, and it will mm-hmm. like mess with your head. Mm-hmm. Um, the same thing happened here, where I read this chapter, and like two days later, I had a client um, whose case just mentioned casually 16%, and I was like,
0: 16%! I love it. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, I, I mean, we'll get to this whole uh, thing at the end of our episode, but big question here, does this mean anything? And if so, what? Because it, it is a very strange, it, like, Norton looks at this and says, this is definitely weird how precise this is. Uh, but... It, it's awfully hard to tell where we're supposed to go from here.
2: Yeah, it's like the kind of information of like, great, I truly don't know how that's useful, but it is interesting. <laughs> right. Uh, there was, the exchange here was a little bit, for a second, for a little bit, felt like Ellen was mansplaining how statistics work. Yep. <laughs> and was just kind of hand-waving like, yeah, that's just the numbers, Vin. And then Vin was like, no, I think the numbers are kind of weird. And then Ellen looked closely. And then Elland went, Guys, the numbers are really weird. Have you noticed this?
0: So yeah, we'll uh, we will definitely have to come back to that one because it's pretty clear that we don't have the whole picture yet, and our characters don't either. Uh, but it is it is a strange thing to start to have to keep track of.
2: I do have an interesting question. It's not a theory. It's just a question.
0: Okay, let's let's hear the question and then not answer it.
2: The mists try to get as close to 16% as possible whenever a group of people goes out in the mists. So if you send three people out per night, the uh, 16% would be closer to zero than to 33%. So could you inoculate your entire army by only sending out three people at a time and then no one dies?
0: I think I know what the answer to that would be, but I can't say for certain, and it would require other knowledge so i will leave that unanswered for now but i think i might actually be able to tell you the answer
1: is it because you have cosmere knowledge or because you know how to solve monty hall problems i don't know (laughs) if your extra knowledge is math based or cosmere based i
0: I think it's cosmere based i will i'll talk to you later about it hey kids
2: the monty hall problem is bullshit i don't care how many times you explain it to me i don't believe
3: it
0: (laughs) all right that's another bonus episode that we're doing
1: I'll be mysteriously ill that day.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, uh that is where we leave that chapter and Vin and Ellen for a bit uh as we hit a section that is uh three quite short chapters in a row. So we're going to we're going to bounce around a little bit and see what we get here. Uh we get another annotation that is a a follow-up to the last one uh which is that uh it it confirms that the the beads that were found uh at the the well that i am begrudgingly accepting that we've called chicken nuggets <laughs> um,
2: if we, if the, if we got a name for what they're supposed to be called i would call them that but all they've been referred to so far is the nuggets and the beads i guess but that doesn't seem any better
0: i'm gonna prefer <laughs> beads to nuggets thank you very much well uh, it, it mentions that bad. the uh that the Lord Ruler as one of the, the people who uh, got his alamancy directly from one of these uh, and then stayed alive for a thousand years retained that kind of original Mistborn power. Uh, though also the fact that he was able to to compound and to mix Farrakami and alamancy was vastly more impactful. Uh, it also mentions that uh, apparently there were originally nine elemancers
2: which i just gotta say real quick i won't go into it but an original nine special boys who have their own special powers and then those powers get passed down through the generations this is the most attack on titan shit i've ever heard in my life this is like that's (laughs) that is wild
0: (laughs) (laughs) the one thing that i don't actually know here uh is in this in this epigraph uh, is the Lord Ruler counted as one of those nine? I don't actually know that.
2: That was the same question I had because there are eight noble families in Luthadel, right? Am I remembering that correctly?
0: Uh, there are eight that are like the big ones, right? And but there's there's a there's like probably fifteen or sixteen that are right. like in Luthadel at all,
2: right? But I, I am curious if it's Lord Ruler and then the eight people who then became the heads of the eight main families in Luthadel. That would be interesting.
3: That is that is My a possibility.
2: My
0: eight special
1: boys. Eight yeah. special
2: boys.
3: My eight lovely uncles.
1: <laughs> I was referencing a thing. I don't know if you were referencing a thing.
3: I was. Anyway, says it. Anyway... <laughs> Sazed, uh continues to uh,
0: to be in various rough places. Uh, in this case, uh, literally a rough place
3: uh, in that he is at the pits of Hathsin. I'm just saying, I think the terrasman, they got this put together right now.
2: I know. Much like the sheep from the last chapter, this feels like a pretty <laughs> nice place now. I know it used to be terrible, but it seems like the, pretty much the chillest place in the whole book so far.
0: This is true. This is true it is a it is a, a good bit of respite we get to to see that uh the the terrorist people who did uh survive the the trip down from the mountains uh they've made their home here. they're starting to kind of make it a a livable place. uh Cezid tells them to prepare for refugees, so they're going to be doing that and yeah, it is. I mean, I, I think of any of the groups that we have come to know, a a group of tariffmen probably pretty well equipped to run a functioning small outpost.
3: Yeah. Uh, and they're exercising great internal controls by reconciling their, their, uh, their ledgers every week. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I have a final to take this weekend. So oh, it is no. perhaps on the mind a little bit. I'm all internal controls all the time. but it is truly like this is like a perfect example of a good internal control is you have a a ledger literally etched in metal that you are comparing your numbers against.
0: Yeah, no, it is. uh, I I would suspect that most other uh, instances of, of controls being necessary are not because of nigh um omnipotent forces that can manipulate the originals, (laughs) but (laughs) You do what you have to do in the circumstances,
3: unless we're talking the SEC. Oh, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> oh. hey, those regulatory boys.
0: <laughs> so the uh, the question here that is is posed to Sazed, though he seems to have already made up his mind pretty strongly.
2: Vedlu is one of them.
0: Yeah, and, and the other the other keepers who are here, uh, think that. Sazed would be a a good person to to lead them here in these times, and he does very much does not see himself as the type of person, especially now, to be in charge of this group.
3: <laughs> and then he tells him, "Hey, if if you really need me, you're sorrier than you appear." Sazed, will you just be a cool guy for one second? <laughs> like... Yeah, he. He he needs... I don't know... a hug? Something? But he refuses to completely give up. Just... mostly. Just, just mostly, mostly give up. up. <laughs> but not all the way.
1: Our boy's going through it. He needs a hug and... therapy.
3: <laughs>
2: Ellen would be like, have we tried beating him almost to death? That might... that might help him get some energy back.
3: Ah, oh, damn! My laws!
0: but yeah he uh partially because he uh does not feel that this is an appropriate place for him uh and partially because he thinks that maybe there is a place that he can work on something keep his mind occupied elsewhere uh say with with breeze and the others who are traveling uh he decides to uh to move on and so we will return to him when we can I,
2: hold up we get a little bit more information at the end of the chapter there um which is that terracemen are never killed by the mists which is oh. very interesting it is um, isn't it sure is i find that interesting um i was waiting for we it also the mic we also <laughs> we also get a very just good line of like despite Everything he's going through, just the perfectly uh sazed way of thinking through things is sazed saying he felt traitorously apathetic, uh, which I just love that line. That's
0: great. It's a good one. Yeah, I will agree with you on that. It's a good one. But yeah, we will uh, we will go on from there then. Uh, to an epigraph that changes topic to, uh, to go back a little bit. Uh, and then a chapter that very much changes topic. Our epigraph is going to uh, to talk about the uh, the eleventh medal and when Kelsier was was starting to to get that rumor going. And it uh, e- even this epigraph here at this point there's uh, there's some questions still to be answered of what was Kelsier up to, uh, and the fact that these questions are kind of still unanswered uh, points out that that was one of the things that maybe he wasn't the uh the infallible leader that he wanted to be
2: which is an interesting thing for the epigraph writer to talk about because like it's a very ominous last line here of that might have been the first seed that made even his oldest friends begin to question his leadership uh, by the end of final empire most of his oldest friends are still totally on board with kelsier um <laughs> so it is it it's just it is very interesting to me that the the epigraph writer seems to find this relevance to the subjects at hand um yeah i don't have any further thoughts aside from what an interesting place to bring this up
0: i would agree with that (laughs) so then in the uh the chapter itself we get a fever dream flashback
1: hooray
0: (laughs) Uh, i'm going to i'm going to quote from the beginning of the the annotation of this chapter fever delusions are such a useful thing for us authors every character should go through a few of them so we have an opportunity to explore their backstory (laughs) yeah
2: yeah it was weird that we got five straight chapters of different characters fever dreaming but you know brandon like whatever's going to work best for the story (laughs) i'm on board with that
0: yeah you know it's a it's an interesting technique but maybe it works I don't know.
1: Says it didn't know where the fever had come from, but it had struck him <laughs> down quickly.
3: I just want to read off and I'm not going to, but I, I just kind of want to read off all like literally all of my notes for this chapter because it's just like confusion and 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 dabbing on spook is just the whole <laughs> the whole notes.
0: I I'm definitely going to have to see at least the highlights then.
3: Okay. I will share afterward. But um, oh, it's his dad. <laughs> He's trying to kill him. Yeah, this
0: uh, like we knew bits and pieces about uh, some of Spook's origins. We knew that uh, that clubs had cared for him for a, a decently long time, uh, and that that he had uh, kind of been abandoned. But we see this was a uh, this was not a good time. This
2: was rough. We also learned that the father's name was Jed all, and considering he's an, at this point, probably older gentleman, and his name does start with J-E, um, prime target for the mists. He's, he's definitely dead <laughs> by now because of the mists.
3: So it's obvious why he would sphere <laughs> spook going into the mists. That's why.
1: <laughs> Didn't we get a, a mist victim that was old Jed?
0: Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what started this whole thing.
2: No, there have been two. We've have t- yeah. We have have two separate mist victims who are old men, and their name started with J-E. That's why I'm pointing this out.
3: Jed and Jell.
1: This guy's got Jed already. Maybe it was Oh,
3: the you're other saying guy. this could be him.
0: It could yeah.
3: be. <laughs> or no, this is the progenitor of Jed and Jell, because his name is <gasps> Jed-Al.
2: Oh my god. He <laughs> split into two, and then they both died. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh god. I don't even know what I have to do here. I love this
3: chapter.
2: <laughs> yeah, now it feels like we're all having a fever dream. It's great.
0: <laughs> Brandon was right, more people should have fever dreams.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> for the comedy.
0: Yeah, I mean, I like I don't know super what else there is to talk about here. This is this is an important scene for who spook is this is he was you know he was living with an abusive family uh he literally was nearly killed by his father uh because of his allomancy. and then clubs shows up and buys him off says here take the money give me the kid you'll never see him again and and that is uh you know that e- even here when he's doing, like, we we see clubs in proper, you know, grumpy old guy fashion, even as he's he's doing this, but it's a, uh, yeah, it's it's a rough scene, and I don't know where else we take it until we see more of Spook.
2: I, I do appreciate that. It seems like uh, Brandon thought, oh, people didn't feel sad enough when clubs died. I can fix that, because this is a very nice <laughs> moment of... It seems very emotionless when clubs is in the room with them and he's just throwing coins around and saying, come on, let's just do the, do the deal. Um, And then by the end of the chapter, you can tell that like, yeah, it's, it's not clear why clubs felt the need to come all the way out here, but probably does care about the kid. Otherwise yeah. he wouldn't have come all this way to do this um so it does it adds some more good clubs content um that does make me appreciate him more um and then we also get a little extra about what his name name originally was and it does make it again more wholesome on kelsier's perspective to be like i'm not calling you that whether or not Kelsier knew why um his name originally meant i've been abandoned the fact that kelsier immediately said no i'm giving you a different nickname um it 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 feels wholesome and also explains very much why Spook feels particularly attached to Kelsier. I think.
1: I didn't even think about the name thing because Kelsier does. Yeah, know that's what I was going Eastern
3: to say.
0: Street slang. Kelsier does actually know how to speak this.
3: Yeah. Oh. oh damn.
2: In that case, like, yeah, even even more props to Kelsier who definitely played it off as "ah, it's too long to say," um, which is. Uh, you know, it's three syllables. It really is not that hard. Um but uh yeah, definitely definitely for sure Kelsier coming in with the save there then.
3: Yeah. Aww. I'm with it. You know, Kelsier obviously, you know, would have known the thing, but at the same time it is a it's a stupid name, <laughs> Les <Lesterborn. laughs> It's too long. <laughs> I'm three so syllables. mad. It's twelve letters.
2: How many syllables is uh, your name, Beth?
1: Uh, four.
3: Hmm. hmm. <laughs> too many. It's a stupid name.
1: I mean, I guess mine is shortened, oh. so... <laughs> I'm probably a bad example.
3: He should have gone by Lesti. <laughs> That's less letters. Then his name just means
2: abandoned.
1: <laughs> it is less letters.
3: Should have called himself Lady Deathstrike. (laughs) What?
2: (laughs) I don't know. Second time Lady Deathstrike's been brought up on the podcast, but I'm on board with that. All right.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Give yourself a cool name. Like Wolverine or like the ninja.
1: (laughs) How old is he in this chapter?
3: (laughs) Exactly.
1: No. Less than that. I think 10. 10-ish.
3: I would have named myself the Red Power Ranger. Not the name Soon of the young Red Power to be put to
2: work in the mines.
1: <laughs> he was just nearly beaten to death by his father.
3: <laughs> I don't know where we go from here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's abandon this then. Just like Lestiborn. Is...
0: <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm taking that segue and running with it. Actually, I have a thing to segue to because this chapter 24 epigraph here uh now kind of ties the last one in you know why were we talking about uh kelsier and the 11th metal well here's our answer is that in our epigraph writers theorizing uh these these legends that even the keepers had never heard of uh, were very possibly a fabrication by ruin in order to set someone on the path of killing the lord ruler which is a very interesting uh, way to look back at that
2: yeah yeah i don't I, I don't know how i feel about that i feel like the idea of is kelsier was kelsier doing the right thing and if so was he going about it the right way is already a complex enough discussion and i i I think it actually kind of waters it down a little bit to be like well he was being manipulated the whole time anyways so um i i honestly this epigraph i was like "Eh, okay um i kind of it. it does help sell the idea that ruin has been plotting these machinations the entire time but i think it also takes a little bit away from Kelsier's agency to be like he was probably being lied to by ruin the whole time whereas I did kind of appreciate the mystery of like, is he making all this shit up about the 11th medal or is there something to it? I don't know. Yeah. This particular epigraph didn't, didn't, uh, didn't speak to me particularly.
3: I, I think I kind of got it more or appreciated more than you, Caleb. Uh, But um, I was going to say, I think I get it. I just didn't like it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I mean, like, there are people who already wanted him dead, and so you just need a, uh, you know, <laughs> a push, I guess. A ruinous push. Potentially a very small one.
0: <laughs> From everything that we've seen, for, for a power that in... Like, if we're comparing to the power that was held at the Well of Ascension, and that's like our scale of kind of godly powers, uh, the things that we've heard Ruin actually doing to manipulate things are very, very minor.
1: Yeah, I think I'm a bit more in Sam's boat here, because I read this, and I was like, that was all you did? It was kind of a shitty hint, man.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just... I I agree that it is interesting how subtle ruin has been, and how the the idea that all he needed was a little push. I just I don't think it like tanks the character or anything. This is not a big deal in the grand scheme of things, but I do think Kelsey is slightly less interesting if I, I think he's slightly more interesting if he didn't need an outside push. If he really if it really was all his brainchild from the beginning. So I think that's the that's the only kind of hangup I have with it.
0: I think that's that's a fair I think that's a fair viewpoint, and we can see what we learn as we go on when we know more about like what has Ruin been doing over the entire history of of this story and before and and what does that actually imply. Going to uh, chapter 24 itself for the last of our uh, rapid fire chapters, uh, we are back to Tensun, uh, who has been doing some thinking because that's pretty much his only option in prison. And he is, he's trying to figure out does he try to make some daring escape because it's it's definitely a thing that he could try to do uh you know he he has all of these these problems that he can see with it it definitely wouldn't be easy uh but you know there's there's some kind of i guess narrative weight to you know escape from your captors and go save the world but it is uh it's not an easy decision to make. The thing that uh, perhaps changes the the calculus slightly uh, is that uh, the the other Chandra, the 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 fifth generation, varcel in particular, uh, took the bait a little bit. Uh, and that back in the last time that we saw Tensoon, Uh, He had been talking to Milan and had said something about, you know, those those terrible, awful wolfhound bones, uh, which just so happened to be delivered to him now uh, for him to wear on the way to his trial and likely execution. And, uh, you know, he he gives a good show of it and of being upset by it and all that uh, and then gets to sit back and think they may have just given me a very important tool. And now I've talked about literally the entire contents of the chapter, so.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's a very short chapter, but I do think it helps clear things up. And perhaps it was just me not reading Intention very well last chapter, but last Tensoon chapter I was a little bit confused. as to like, what's your actual deal? What are you actually thinking? Um, (laughs) And I knew he was a little bit conflicted, but here we get like a very good breakdown of, I don't know if I want to break out yet, but I have been like, Planting the seeds so that if I decide to break out, that plan is ready to go. I don't know mm-hmm. if I'm going to do it yet, but I'm I'm ready to have that plan happen if it comes to that.
1: Yeah, I love this chapter because we've, we've touched on before that, you know, Tensoon coming in and basically spilling his guts and admitting what he did was such a weird thing to do from a human point of view, but makes perfect sense from a Condor point of view. It's the honorable thing to do. So to see him start to wrestle with that worldview, and particularly the line of... But now, strangely, an eternity of imprisonment seemed like the easy way out. I I just love this whole internal debate.
2: Yeah, he's like searching for what is the... I, I deserve to be punished for what I've done. What is the right way to go? And he like kind of comes to the conclusion of, if I carry out my sentence, I'm it's making things worse. That's not what's actually what I should be doing. And he's still thinking of it through the, I am a criminal who has done something wrong. And Mm -hmm. the, uh, the debate of if I just accept my punishment. Yeah. That's, that seems like that's not the, the, the right punishment for me, essentially. I feel like I have (laughs) to get my hands even dirtier in order to, um, make up for what I've done. Um, yeah it's a very fast every single Condra chapter has been like they just see things fundamentally differently and it's fascinating to see that thought process
0: i would agree i i very much like the the ten Soon chapters here and it's fun every time we get back to another one
1: yeah last book we weren't just excited to be able to say ten Soon. i was like yay we get to meet him for realsies now
0: moving to chapter 25 where we are uh, getting back into some uh longer more uh, significant developments uh before that we have an epigraph that is uh somewhat uh out of place like it's it's the only one that talks about this but it's it's one that's always stuck with me uh it talks about the balance which has been mentioned once or twice before way back when uh, of one of these kind of talking points about why about why the the nobility rules over the Ska is because in in the teachings of the ministry there's a physical difference in that Ska are meant to work and nobles are meant to rule uh, and the people like like Kelsier's thieving gangs would always say you know of course that's that's ridiculous that's just a thing that they say to to justify the things they do. Uh and our our epigraph writer says there actually was a physical difference. The 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 lord ruler uh, Rashik when he ascended in his whole mess of trying to fix things, this was one of his ideas was I'm going to fix the people so that in my mind they're better at what they do. And over a thousand years a lot of that went
3: away, but it was an actual thing. And I just think this is a super interesting thing to put in a book. This was something that I pointed out as interesting in episode 1 of The Final Empire. You sure did, and yeah. I believe I said
0: something like we're going to talk more about this much later. Much <laughs> later. And here we are. Yes, because I was I was thinking of this epigraph because I remembered it.
2: In both writing style and content, this this epigraph reminds me of like the balance. Is it real? as ancient astronaut theorists believe, we've almost forgot, like, th- there's a little bit of uh, ancient aliens to to the style here, and I don't know, I don't know how I feel about this little piece of lore, because it doesn't seem to affect the story at all, so why even have it in there, you know?
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely, it feels kind of out of place. Um, like, it it could have been a thing that Brandon just talked about like years later. But like it, it's it's again similar to the 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 hang-ups and consequences of a a hereditary magic system. The fact that there is a very kind of back and forth nuanced answer to, you know, the, the the teachings say that the the ska are are lesser physically than the nobility. But of course that's nonsense. But actually, it was a thing at one point, but it was that way because of the intentional designs of Rashik, who we've established is not a good person. So there's there's (laughs) more layers to it than I expected before I I read this.
2: Was he a bad person or was he just hashtag misunderstood, says Ellen Venture?
0: And pretty much everybody goes, no, he was a bad person. (laughs) Yeah, including me.
3: Helen, you literally had front row seats to an execution. To him executing hundreds of people. And you were concerned about it then.
2: Listen, it wasn't evil. It was just effective, guys.
3: Lord Ruler let people beat their kids. Why not me? (gasps) Stupid law, why did I do that?
0: (laughs) All right. Uh, We are... Going to we're going to reach our other mapped location here. Uh, because in chapter twenty-five, uh Elend and his contingent have reached Fadrek City.
2: I need to clarify, I'm dunking on Ellen as much as possible now because we get some really good Ellend content in the chapter here. Uh so <laughs> I'm getting my hits in while I can.
3: I really like the setting of this chapter, just like the very beginning where they're on the narrow boat in the canal. And then, like, as it's going, Ham is just like, yeah, so we're probably not going to be able to go back because the ash is clogging the canal to the extent that it is no longer, like, liquid. Yeah. And that was so striking to me. Like, okay, you know, I've pictured, like, ash falling all the time, but for it to be that much that you can't even, like, push a boat through it anymore? Yeah, the rivers are are filling up. That's And they also,
2: if, if I remember how it works correctly... They have like armies of coloss pulling these boats along, correct? I think that's how the canals work. Is it's it's through I think physical usually, labor.
0: I think it it was back in the day it was ska who would yeah. who would walk along and pull.
2: Yeah, I feel like we have a line or two here saying that the Coloss are doing it now. Um, although I might be imagining that. Um and if I am imagining it, well, if I'm gonna make the movie, I'm gonna make that happen. We'll just see that happen in the background. So there um but um yeah it definitely is a very dire like point of no return um feeling of literally we can't go back so it's a point of no return but also like on a grander scale yes the world is really falling apart at this point it's not just like abstract ideas of things are getting worse it's no here is an actual physical consequence of the ash falling so heavily
0: and speaking of of striking visuals uh Brandon actually mentions specifically uh there is a particular place in the uh the the deserts in Utah uh called Cathedral Valley that mm. he was thinking of uh when he was imagining the the landscape around Fadrex. so listeners go look up Cathedral Valley and it uh it looks pretty spectacular he says it in the annotation. He says it's not Ooh. quite the same in that the Fadrex uh, um, the the rock formations are probably not quite as tall, but more bunched up. There's more of them closer together. But yeah, some some pretty striking um, you know, desert rock formations. Uh, and then, as as Ham points out, as a defensive move, they have gone and cut down all the trees. So. Very kind of look up on the hill and see this this city you know on its rock spire.
2: And I also just love the additional bit of lore that like walls were outlawed, like cities aren't allowed to have walls except Luthadel, um, which is insane and also fascinating. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that Fatrich City is one of the few cities that can really defend itself no matter what because the natural surroundings allow it to be walled in. I thought that was a really cool piece of world building.
3: I also really like the dunk on Fadric City that Elend has here. Ellen had been to the city before. His father had made certain to introduce him in all of the Final Empire's main cultural centers. Fadric's hadn't been one of those. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: you know, it, it it didn't even make Straff Venture's top 10 list.
1: <laughs> it didn't make the sightseeing tour.
3: Later on he calls it provincial. <laughs> So it's 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 a provincial way station on the way to Tremradair.
0: I did go back and check to see if you had uh, looked at the Final Empire map and drawn a line out to another city, and you did. So, having arrived at uh, at Fadrex, they need to figure out uh, what they're going to do because the last time that they came to a a, a place where one of these caches were, uh. They, it was a small enough place, and the the circumstances were dire enough with the incoming Coloss invasion that Ellen could do his big dramatic arrival takeover, you know, et cetera, et cetera, that we saw in chapter one. Uh, but this is, like we said, it's a fortified city. It's still well uh, populated. It, it seems to be prepared for the arrival of Ellen Venture, and what's their uh what's their play uh in in set's mind one of the options is do you just go kill king yeoman because that's
3: a possibility though uh though ellen is against it here i do want to say before we move too swiftly past it that we again establish that ham wears vests yes we do even though it's, it's cold it's very important <laughs> there's no sleeve <laughs> every here. time <laughs> I, I want. A, a, does somebody out there have, a, have like a, a ticker? I wish I had done that from like episode one of Final. Count Empire. the vests. Like just, <laughs> just take a take a, but specifically, not just that he wears vests, but that he wears vests even when it's cold. Oh yeah, no, yeah. that's true.
2: And like, what percentage of the time Ham is described in a chapter does it make sure to describe the vests? Like, what's the percentage there?
0: <laughs> it's
3: got to um, be like
0: eighty percent or higher.
2: Yeah um uh, yeah in terms of like the strategy here there's a lot it's it's interesting i don't think it's like bad writing on brandon's part i think it is um uh perhaps not foolishness but it is it says a lot about ellen here that uh, he does dismiss two of set's ideas set has two ideas one is um Go around and conquer a bunch of these smaller towns and smaller cities around, and cut off all their supply chains and whatnot, and also just like kind of put the pressure on them. And Set specifically says they're really they're pretty small, they're not well defended. You'll be able to take them just as easily as you took um, uh, the the first town in chapter one. Um, And Ellen says, "No, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to pillage the countryside." To which my question is, if Set is confident they're going to give up without a fight. Is that really pillaging that doesn't seem like that would be that bad if you did go with that strategy and then you have the assassination thing and they go no we don't assassinate people and set has a little thing of like well you threatened to assassinate me what he doesn't point out is vin basically did assassinate Strath venture they have absolutely assassinated someone in order to end a fight quickly before um so there's a little bit of... I don't want to call it hypocrisy, but where Ellen chooses to draw the line is really... It's really interesting to me.
3: Caleb, we don't trade lives. Was
1: th- Okay, was that... We definitely do.
2: <laughs> we definitely do. Was that Infinity War reference, or was that just like a
3: reference to how Ellen usually acts? I guess both, but that was definitely an <laughs> Infinity War reference.
2: Okay, I was going to say um yeah yeah it's just interesting it actually is a fairly good comparison of like more people will die overall but we don't want to sacrifice the one person for sure which is especially ironic because ellen just inoculated his whole army and the whole deal with that was well we have to let some of these people die in order to make sure that more people survive in the long run um and then there's like added additional aspects to like i don't know if ellen knows how sieges work because ellen is like well, I don't want to shorten their food supplies, because then people might get hungry. It's like Ellen, what do you think a siege is? What 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 do you think the goal of a siege actually is? <laughs> I want to besiege them, but make sure that they're well fed and supplied. That's yeah, the quickest it's... way to make sure we can get to that
1: cache. <laughs> yeah, the the discussion of where Ellen draws the line, there's a like just tiny little bit when they're talking about that one time what where vin did kill 300 of sets men in like 10 minutes um and ham tries to say that was different because it was done by the protagonist and we like vin essentially and ellen interrupts and says no it wasn't and i recognize that but we're still not going to do that it's that's just just this three words of no, it wasn't throw such an interesting wrinkle, wrinkle into this. It's fascinating. I know,
2: yeah, I love that moment. But then it's so interesting that's like, you didn't really try diplomacy with the first town in uh in the first chapter. So why diplomacy now? I it's it's I don't I don't I don't know exactly where Ellen's head is at, but it's very yeah. I agree that. It's not as simple as oh he doesn't want to make the hard decision because yeah I love that he admits it really was not that different and yet he still in the end of the world is like let's see if diplomacy can work even though it seems like he had kind of given up on diplomacy and that's why he's been so autocratic for most of this book um it's almost as if he's he's backtracking towards the Elend we used to even though the tension is only getting higher, it's not like it, it, uh, uh, he's following the rhythm of the book. Um, <laughs> he's just kind of going on his own arc of what do we consider okay to do? What do we consider not okay to do? Um, it does seem like Ellen is kind of changing his mind back and forth, which again, I don't think makes him hypocritical. I just think it makes it really interesting to see like how he's feeling scene to scene.
0: I also really like the... Um the kind of back and forth among Ellen's crew here uh, where after sets two suggestions have been dismissed uh, and they Ellen says that he's going to try diplomacy set points out that that doesn't result in him getting his city back. Uh, And Ellen just says, I know. And then reminds him that we are not a team here. I am the emperor and you are advising me because i want you to and i do get to
3: make the decision here and if you don't get your city back tough (laughs) also set who notably marched an army toward luthadel and then tried to install himself as king says that marching soldiers to a city and trying to take it over is not a diplomatic move yeah
2: which yeah it is ironic because set did match the army up and then set did try a more diplomatic solution than just waiting to attack yeah. the city. He did try to take it through diplomatic means by literally getting elected. And it didn't go well for him.
0: <laughs> so yeah, we'll have to see what uh, what the hell they're actually going to do in uh, in Fadric City. Uh, but the first thing that they're going to do is Vin is going to go on a scouting mission. Uh, they're going to get some info from set on uh informants uh people who who may be able to provide them some some information and so they're uh, they're going to be prepared for that uh, they're uh, getting ready for the scouting mission uh Elend offers to to come with uh and Vin says no you're bad at this stay here
3: <laughs> and you're smelly and you're smelly
0: <laughs> so but yeah uh have fun they get a kiss and then off she goes. And I'm looking forward to the checking back in with her because I, I like her first scouting through uh through Fadrex.
2: Oh yeah. This 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 section's real good from here on out. It's been good so far. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed this whole section, but like we're getting some really good chapters coming up.
1: <laughs> I I'm gonna take this chance to circle back on an ongoing discussion we've been having about Ellen being an Alamancer and is that interesting or not and i have been in the yes it is interesting camp but i don't want to say more about it because i don't want to be like well here's the journey Ellen will be going on in 20 chapters <laughs> but i feel like this this chapter kind of makes the points that i've been wanting to make so i'm circling back now uh which is that one we've gotten the tidbit about that like confirms confirms it's because of the chicken nuggets that he is such a strong boy. Um, of course. <laughs> of course. Um, and even though he is such a strong boy, he kind of sucks at Elements. <laughs> He's <laughs> like, he is a blunt instrument, but Vin is still the master. Um, but I also think the the most important thing is, you know, the ongoing struggle has been what is the kind of leader that Alan must be? What does he want to be? And, you know, where in the threat versus diplomacy scale can he afford to fall at this time? And I think the fact that Ellen himself is able to pose a physical threat adds a very interesting layer to this because we get to see him in full Mistborny action in the first chapter of just being able to swoop into a town and by allomantic reputation alone take it. And now to see him sort of not renege on that, but, you know, take a different tact and try diplomacy. Knowing that he himself is now a physical threat, I think that is very interesting. And given how high the stakes are, I don't think Normie Elland would have really been able to keep up. I know we love our Normies in this house, but I think that this this Elland as a Mistborn folds in very well to the story he's been going through so far uh and you guys are just mean
3: (laughs) i'm just mean
2: (laughs) no i'm 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 mean too but um i i yeah i i understand that i think i just you did you did bring up in the like fighting chapter that look vin is so much more skilled and ellen is more of a blunt instrument and i didn't really like pick up on a lot of those details until you pointed it out. So I do kind of wish in that initial fight, it had been emphasized a little bit more. Totally. Um, I do appreciate the little details like this of Vin going, no, this, this mission is not for you. Um, I do agree that um, the book is, is incorporating that aspect of their relationship into things. I, I, I still don't quite buy why couldn't he be diplomatic in the first chapter, and you could say, well, it's because the Coloss were really close by, so he needed to rush. And then I still ask, why is he not in a rush right now? I, I understand that it, it's a matter of marching an entire army, but the urgency is still 100% there, dude. Um, so I think it is very interesting for his, his uh, I, I agree it's very interesting for his character of he could pose a p- physical threat, I just still am a little bit hung up on the way his physical threat was introduced in the first couple of chapters. I I still am a little bit annoyed about that.
1: That's totally fair. I think that is it was it was a blunt introduction, <laughs> shall we say.
3: A little bit, but it's growing on me. You know, Alan is growing on me as a as a hero of ages character, just like he grew on me as a well of ascension character, so
0: it's definitely a complex graph of everyone's feelings on Elend but I do like (laughs) that the the trend seems to be up you go boy
1: (laughs) I don't know which graph is more complex the Elend graph or the spook graph
0: (laughs) I think it might be the spook one
1: I I feel like that graph is at least funnier because it probably has more like flat plateaus that just suddenly jump up or down to another flat plateau (laughs) exactly
2: exactly yeah there's like very sudden peaks and valleys whereas Ellen is like a day by day uh a graph that changes and then yeah spook is just like <laughs> yeah this is how we feel oh all right i'm feeling this way ah oh, no i'm feeling this way now
3: <laughs>
0: yep uh, one very quick note just because it's fun to point out before we move on to chapter 26 uh early in chapter 25 when Ellen is is contemplating the state of their forces and he's listing off kind of who's where and, and dealing with what uh, he says that uh, Spook and Breeze are in the north, Penrod is back at Luthadel, Felt is watching the storage cache in the east yep, caught oh. that
3: that's all, he's just there <laughs> Eugene's a part of the crew he is I I, I,
2: the, uh, I don't know how much to expect from Felt but like I, w- I want to say I'm 100% on board if we just get like a whole, like, fairly long chapter that's just Felt. And it's the only one in the book that's from Felt's perspective, but we just get one big chapter. Um, I, I don't know. There's He just has vibes, you know?
3: <laughs> Gosh. I just love a character where, like, you tell him to do something and he does exactly what you want to do to the level that you want him to do it. Or above <laughs> that. And that's just Felt, baby. Yeah, no, he is, like... We talk about you know
0: appreci- appreciating our normies here. That's like, like I've already told you that he shows up in some unusual places, but other than that, he's just a very competent average guy, and that's why I love him so much.
2: Yeah, random hyper competent guys are that's a good character archetype.
0: So yeah, knowing that felt is is there in the east, uh, we are going on to uh, to chapter twenty six. Uh, an extensive epigraph here talking about the formation of the final empire uh, and how rashik as the omnipotent leader of it could kind of just arbitrarily build a culture that he wanted uh, and how he did so by kind of picking and choosing things from some of the cultures of the world interestingly enough including the clenny people who he hated
3: i was not as wild as at this I, it gets better he the the epigraph writer who says it, uh, continues to like elaborate on this, uh, which is great. Um, but this one we already we definitely already knew that the Kaleny culture had a big impact on Luthadelian Final Empire culture.
2: We did, so. but it is it's interesting to me to get like a little insight into how and why it went down. Um, I thought I thought this was an interesting section.
3: Yeah, and and like I said, this is a good lead-in to like continuing from this and other cultural syntheses he did. So, you know, even though like I'm not the biggest fan of the epigraph, it yeah. uh, it continues. It is the stepping stone. Yes, I I think much
0: like the last pair, this one might be more of a lead-up, and we will check back in in chapter twenty-seven to to see some of the the uh, new and interesting bits. Uh, in contrast, though, chapter twenty-six itself has plenty of new and interesting bits. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. This this chapter made me excited for reasons I will get into in the theory section.
0: I am oh, sure of that. Um,
2: <laughs> I love the two different reactions there. <laughs> Beth really surprised Justin. Yeah, of course you are. Obviously.
0: <laughs> well, there there is there is sometimes uh you know the, the the game that beth and i have to play of how much do we reveal and how much do we not uh th- there's sometimes an element of not even pointing out the fact that there is something to care about here but like elementically there's some weird shit going on so we're gonna pay <laughs> attention to that
1: we actually planned those responses in advance so that we had the full spectrum covered of how much you <laughs> should care about this section.
2: Good. Good. Yeah. It's a good way to handle it.
3: <laughs> I actually you know, recording be damned, I do actually care about this section a lot. I think it's pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah. No, yeah. This is Spook being a boss. It is. <laughs> you know. I got like I know it's like weird to compare it to this, but I got like Decker Kane Blade Runner vibes off of this chapter. Okay. Like you know, very very like um, you know, the guy in in a city who's just like going along doing his own thing kind of thing. Um
0: I I'd, I think that we'd get some really cool imagery of Spook kind of trying to thread his way through the city. In this. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
3: Yes.
2: Uh, uh, Sam, I hate to do this to you. Do you mean Rick Deckard? Because Deckard Kane is a Diablo character. Yes. Listen,
3: I don't. I Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I am bad at references.
0: I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I was doing that same substitution. I was like, I think, but I'm just going to keep going. You know.
1: I didn't know. I believed you. <laughs> I don't
2: I mean to be pedantic, but I was like, I didn't know his last name was Kane and I looked at it I was like, Okay, yeah, that's where the Okay. No, you. yeah,
3: that's the Diablo guy. Yeah. The other the other I, guy. I, yes. <laughs> I, I I concatenated in my mind. Um but thank you for for relieving the people who I'm sure were screaming at their mobile device or computer. Yeah, it's true.
2: We gotta make the corrections now or everyone's gonna start screaming later on. No, mm-hmm.
3: it's it's actually a
0: it's a it's a thing online where the uh the the fastest way to get the correct answer is to give the wrong answer and wait for people to correct you it's called fingal's law it's actually a thing
2: (laughs) i have heard about that
0: um it's not called fingal's law it's called cunningham's law that was god damn it god
2: son of a bitch (laughs) justin i'm gonna say that i've never heard of it being called that but i do know the concept of it damn it
0: Okay, should we actually get into this chapter that we've all agreed is is cool and interesting to talk about and read? Yes,
1: it's good and interesting. Let's talk about it.
0: (laughs) I also got slight Blade Runner
1: vibes as well.
2: My follow-up was going to be, I agree, the vibes are good.
0: (laughs) Yay. Alright, so with our good vibes, uh, Spook survived, somewhat unexpectedly, given the circumstances we last left him in.
2: Somehow Spook returned
0: exactly uh and oh more than that he he says he actually feels pretty good uh you know the, the we heard at the very last moment when we were with him it conscious in the present day uh that he was burning pewter and remains doing so and it is helping him significantly turns out having more than one of these powers is pretty cool <laughs> This is nice.
1: <laughs> Y'all heard of this shit?
0: Yeah. Yeah, Vin and Ellen. You heard of this shit?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and not only that, you know, he he's dealing with an awful lot here. He has been granted a second elementic power, and he spoke to Kelsier. You know, he is 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 you know, obviously there was a lot going on, and he's had some time to think that over now. Uh, but that's that's all he can come up with is this was this was the spirit of the man who helped him uh escape his old life, and now he has he has help from this this ghostly force, and he has pewter
3: mm. reminds me of another person who had a spike in them who heard words from someone who wasn't there
0: interesting
3: interesting
0: you say a spike because like it's the very next thing which i assume you're referring to is that uh the 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 sword point that snapped off in Spook's shoulder is uh, is still there which i guess is a like it it is pointy so i guess it's a spike <laughs> uh yeah it's a piece of metal yeah no it, it like the question then becomes what is the what is the boundary
3: of spikiness <laughs> my question here is what is to what degree is spook wrong which which presupposes that spook is wrong in
0: the way that you phrase this question
3: well i'm just uh, i'm wondering like the sliding scale of of spook being misinformed here like is it actually the sword tip or is it uh you know he passed out and then someone stabbed him and someone spiked him that would be spiked
0: him that would be i mean there is he he says that
3: like he barely remembers the process of getting home i like uh, my thought was he passed out and then someone spiked him but i like I'm gonna I'm gonna pretend that I believe Spook, cause that sounds more interesting <laughs> to me. You know, why not? So you do believe Spook, or? I'm choosing to believe Spook because I think it's cooler that the sword is what gave him, this what I'm assuming is hemallergic stuff, blessing thing.
2: Gotcha.
1: I love the one line in here of. Uh... You know, he had seen Kelsier's spirit. He'd returned, he'd shown himself to Spook. Spook had no idea how to react to that event.
0: <laughs> that <laughs> is like, a totally yes, fair girl. reaction.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I do like when uh, um, fantasy books internally cross a line of strangeness where the characters in the books who have been doing magic go, okay, I don't know what the fuck this is. <laughs> but yeah not only was uh was Kelsier visible in the the burning building uh but is now uh, appears to spook in the the present day at least a little bit before he uh decides to to head out on the town and see what's going on so yeah it, it is pretty much um Spook is attempting to just kind of reset, figure out what has changed in the city, get a a better handle on things, and uh, goes out to a bar and and buys a drink. To which I'm now distracted by the question of, is Spook of age to drink? And is that even a meaningful
3: question here? I wrote that. I said, Spook's underage. He's going to get nicked.
2: Wasn't Finn drinking wine at all the balls at like age fifteen or whatever? <laughs> I just,
0: I, I just like this it. being the point that we're objecting to.
2: Uh, yeah, why, why so much noise made for drinking age now?
3: Caleb, Ellen was twenty one. I don't know. I didn't say Ellen. <laughs> I wasn't totally... talking about Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> Which is totally relevant to your thing, but I just had to say that we're, when we're talking about age, I have to say it. It's it's in my character. Yeah, I know, and I, I haven't know. I haven't um.
2: forgotten. But
3: but I think uh, I think age is irrelevant here. I think it, this is just a fantasy world. Let people get sloshed, you know? Especially
2: in the middle of the French Revolution, I don't know how many people are checking IDs.
3: Exactly. Le Citoyen. Ouais.
1: Ouais.
0: Ouais. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: so Spook is resuming his, uh, kind of eavesdropping in surveillance. Uh, and here's some people starting to, uh, to have some questions about what exactly Quellian is up to, uh, and the way that he's running this city. because uh, apparently the, uh, the citizen thinks that the people shouldn't have to uh, keep and, and earn their own currency, and so is just going to take all the money back into his own treasury, like the lord ruler did.
3: Mm. <laughs> a little sus, a little, a little problematic here.
0: A little bit, you know the uh, the the genealogical research to find out people of uh, with potential noble blood. Also, not a great look. Gonna be honest, there. Are we the baddies? <laughs> yeah i think if if anyone like like ellen has asked that question to himself and the answer is still pretty up in the air Quellian has not and the answer is very
3: <laughs> obvious yeah yeah these are just like dogmatic pointless things too at, at a certain point like going back five generations like we got bigger fish to fry here Quelian. <laughs>
0: uh Spook is also just kind of enjoying the uh the casual benefits of pewter which I appreciate where he like he uncorks the wine just by pulling on it. He's like I couldn't have done that before. That's cool.
1: <laughs> this is neat. Uh
0: he does a little bit of uh, uh of thinking back on some of the things that we saw in his his dreams uh when he's uh, he's hearing some people talking about working in the mines, uh the danger there. And how that probably would have been his life if clubs had not, uh, as as he points out, undergone a vast effort, both physically, monetarily, all that, uh, to rescue this random kid. You know, Spook was a nobody back then, so uh, he he realizes that he he wants to be able to help. Says that uh, kind of to himself dramatically. Uh, and Kelsier has some advice to give him. You could, you could be, you could be a great person here. You're going to, you're going to do great things. Uh, unfortunately, it is around this time that uh, Spook has been recognized. Uh, not just he's been recognized in two ways, both of which are bad. Uh, one as somebody who maybe was on the survivors' crew, which makes him notable in the city, uh, and another one. As the guy who got stabbed and thrown in the building, which raises a lot of questions.
3: Yeah. <laughs> he survived his burnstitution.
2: <laughs> I do appreciate the character arc here of top of 237. I ran away once. I don't ever have to do that again. I won't ever do that again. Bottom of page 237. He stood up as enchantingly as he could, then fled into the night
1: clock man
0: i i think that i appreciate the joke that you point out i think there is perhaps a semantic difference between fleeing a life and leaving so you don't get stabbed
2: <laughs> there is although i would actually perhaps pose the question of you know Kelsier's voice is telling them you can be great like i was i feel like in this case Kelsier would probably just walk up to those guys and go yeah what's up? What's your problem? What's going on? Um, <laughs> and you know, it's a little bit silly to have the runaway thing. And then, uh, he does in fact run away, but I don't know. I wonder if there's a more kind of quote unquote heroic way he could have handled it besides, Oh, they recognize me. I'm out of here. Um, I don't know, it's an interesting, uh, question. That being said, you can tell that this pub has bad vibes because there are a number of, um, uh, Unnamed voices, but much like with Quellian's crew, there yeah. is no fourth voice um allowing for some guidance, so we knew it was right from the right start. To flee. Yes.
3: <laughs> Can't believe Dern snitched him out. Fucking Dern. What an asshole. <laughs> I'm curious what a... I'm
2: curious here, actually. Dern might have snitched him out, but is there a chance? Cause remember this whole town is... Yeah, Kelsier was the fucking bomb. If Durn is spreading the rumor that Spook worked directly with Kelsier, is that really a bad thing for Spook? I've, I feel like Spook might actually be jumping to conclusions about why people are so interested in him right now.
0: There's, it definitely feels like there are some missing pieces, uh, but Spook does have a, a present goal of don't get beat up and or stabbed again in this bar, so he is going to... Uh, exit stage right and uh, we will unfortunately not see him for the rest of this section
2: yeah there are a few other missing pieces uh, Justin what the fuck's up with the skulls
0: <laughs> count <laughs> them I apologize we will have to get back to the skulls uh, but instead of talking about the skulls we're going to get the other half of that uh, that epigraph about the, the culture of the final empire uh, where this time uh, our writer is going through all of the other historic cultures that don't exist anymore that Rashik apparently pilfered little bits from.
2: Yeah, we get mention of the Erton class, and I'm curious if that is uh, related to Erto at all. Um, I don't know if we'll ever get an answer on that, but that stood out to me.
3: Hmm. It's it's uh,
2: anyways, we, we... <laughs> anyways, should we
0: should we have some good old misborning?
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I also want to talk about the church too. Um, sure, let's I talk about the church it was, too. It was really interesting that the Lord Ruler, it's a uh, as as the epigraph says, uh, bases his church on a financial institution. Um, the idea of the Lord Ruler is more focused on quantifiable uh, loyalty than actual religious faith. Um, it's just a very interesting mindset to go into if you're going to establish yourself as this god ruler um i just yeah i just think it's really interesting
0: all right heading into chapter 27 uh we we return to some mistborning and not just to that but to some sneaky mistborning which it's been quite a while since we've seen uh, but vin is uh, is going to to go and scout the city uh, she is not wearing her mist cloak because it uh, it's actually a little noisy and they can no longer rely on kind of the, the aura that it that it gives to people in the know. So she's just like dressed up for some spying and is, is going to, <laughs> to, to go sneak around the city and does so very effectively because Ellen's not there being noisy and smelly.
1: <laughs> uh, he's not even here, Ben. You can stop dunking on him.
0: Uh, it is interesting that uh, although Ellen didn't have a, a high opinion of Fadrex, uh, it, it well she says that you know Ellen, who grew up in Luthadel, thinks that this is a small city, but it it has some it it has keeps, it has noble mansions, uh, you know it 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 is very much a kind of miniature city,
3: and your your sense of scale can be thrown off by your upbringing. And I'm impressed that Brandon's turned a corner here because there's no mention of Merlins at all. Because there's no buttresses,
2: but there's no there's no defensive walls on the outside of the city, which is where the Merlins tend to be, though.
3: Exactly, there's no natural habitat with which the Merlins can exist. (laughs) Merlins cannot cannot thrive here. (laughs) Enrichment in their enclosure.
0: Uh, Another. Uh, architectural cameo it's been a while since we've had one of those but as most of the the noble keeps in luthadel were based on real buildings uh so too is the the particular one here that vin notices uh this one is the lds temple in salt lake city
3: oh Mm interesting interesting Yeah, if someone could.
1: So it is. That's a cool building.
0: So yeah, and and Vin gets to have some some time. She has some time to think about what she's doing and who she is in kind of a circumstance that feels good to her. Like sneaking and and jumping around like this is a thing that she enjoys. And and she gets to to think about you know who was Valette Renou, who was vin the one who was helping ellen build his government who is vin who is now married to the emperor Kind of all those those different facets of it
1: it's very nice to see her mist about like this because we've gotten so much recently about like when she uses Alamancy, the mists curl away and they hate her now and you know we got a bit of that at the start of this chapter but it's good to see her just like She's going to do some steel pushing and have a think and and enjoy it. It's nice.
2: She's back back in her element a little bit, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, The first stop that she makes here uh, is one of the the names on Set's list. This is an informant by the name of Slow Swift. This is apparently a nickname. But which is he? He is uh, an old man. Who has a uh, apparently a, a penchant for telling stories. I I like the the vibe of this guy, mm-hmm. and if anybody wants a uh, a bit of a a direct visual reference, uh, this won't interrupt our casting discussion so much, uh, but this is actually another cameo, uh, although not of a, a direct friend of Brandon's. Uh, this is his homage to J.R.R. Tolkien.
3: Oh,
2: that's fun.
0: Yeah, you know, he he just thought it would be a a, a fun thing to to take the you know the, the kind of father of modern fantasy and put him here as this this man who knows all these things and loves telling these stories uh even if Vin doesn't think she has time to listen to a story, you know, it this is this is how he's going to, to, to be.
2: That's very cool and it makes me like him even more which is saying something because i really like this scene a lot
0: yeah no it's it's good <laughs> so vin is uh is asked and is willing to provide her name and who uh sent her here uh, which is a, a a bold ask for someone who is dealing in information but vin thinks that this is how this is going to go given his demeanor uh that scoundrel still alive yes <laughs> still still vim
2: uh early on in the conversation slow swift also mentions uh stories about mistrate sprites and josh brolin am i allowed to look up what a brolin is or is that like a cosmere thing that's like a a good hint of something to come <laughs> or is that just a made-up word
0: i'm pretty sure it's a like a mythological term but i'll confirm that
2: okay i was nervous to google it because what if it's secretly a spoiler
1: the Coppermind article for it is 12 words long uh, <laughs> and does say Brolins are mythical creatures on Skadriel. The legends of Brolins are unknown. End article. <laughs>
2: <Great>. <laughs> it doesn't even mention Slow Swift?
1: Uh, oh, it's, his, his quote is like the, the page quote. But... Okay,
2: okay. Love it.
1: Yeah, that's it.
2: <laughs> so I was right that it was a cosmere thing except this is the only cosmere thing that it is
0: okay apparently yeah i i went and and somebody asked brandon about this like hang on what's up with the brawlins uh and and he said that he he wanted there to be like local myths that make this feel like a different world and so he made up a bunch of words and uses them here and there um and and they said that they asked him we're not going to get to the end of like stormlight nine and be like oh the brawlins and he said no <laughs> you're not
3: the brawlins of course
2: <laughs> so this was the wrong question asked at the right time
0: <laughs> but yeah so so vin is here uh to to get some information uh we we learned some information which is that uh set is apparently a very talented poet and he and slow swift have have corresponded for for a long time
2: nice uh, not just not just corresponded but they've been in this little poetry club since before set was even in politics like i just kind of assumed set grew up in that environment but slow swift is like yeah i liked him before he he went into that whole angle he he used to just be a yeah, chill he was guy a great
0: writer don't know why he had to do that yeah
2: yeah <laughs> i love that detail i think that's a lot of fun
1: me too. I I love set and just having this like surprise wholesome wrinkle. I love it.
0: And like he's still a jerk who killed a whole bunch of people, but he was well, also yes. a good poet. <laughs> like it, yeah, it's fun. Uh, and so Vin asks the the big questions on her mind, which is what can we learn about King Yeoman? Uh, and the first thing that we learn is that in Slow Swift's opinion, he's a good man. Uh, Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. (laughs) That Um,
2: complicates things.
0: (laughs) It it does, but it also... I think Slow Swift is expecting this to be a bit of a shock to Vin. uh, And she has seen enough gray in the world that that she says, "I, I understand that that's a complicated question, but... You know what what can you tell me about him like i I understand that you think he's a good man, and we're going to talk about that, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to try to kill him,
2: yeah, and just looking forward as to where the plot line could go. This is not necessarily a theory section, it's more just like it would be interesting if um it would be interesting if there's all this like talk of diplomacy and whatnot and and um trying to make a deal with this apparently fairly decent person um and thinking about, like, how far are Elend and Vin willing to go, the idea that they find out, yeah, he's a pretty good person, but the only way we're getting that cash is if we kill him. Um, that was, uh, Another really juicy storyline I could see this this part of the book going in.
0: The main thing that, uh, that Slow Swift has to, to explain to Vin is how he came to power, uh, which is that as an obligator, which we learn here, uh, he was able to very quickly kind of assert control and return things to as normal as they could be, and the people responded well to that. They wanted to be able to have their next meal, uh, and we we learned that apparently Yeoman has put quite a bit of work into keeping things familiar. Uh To the extent that the the nobility of Fadrix have been throwing balls and and dancing the the night away, yeah, I also like the the where this exchange goes, uh which is that Vin starts to to press him on what's his weakness, how can we beat him uh and Slow Swift points out, I just told you that I like him, I'm not going to tell you exactly how to overthrow him,
3: which is fair
2: yeah and and again good old blunt vin going you're not being very helpful and he's like so
0: right (laughs) you came to me i don't have to be exactly as helpful as you want me to be and and the offers that she makes you know you could have you could have a title and he says set obviously didn't tell you what kind of a person i am if you're trying to offer me a title we could pay Hmm. you and he says i sell information not my soul which is a, a hell of a line to come back with.
3: Yeah. and Then Vin comes back with, you're not being very helpful.
1: <laughs> and then hits him with the, I'll tell you why you should care, old man. <laughs> <laughs> Damn girl.
2: <laughs> Get with the times.
0: <laughs> but the uh, the argument that she makes is the most compelling one, which is... The world is ending, and we need to save it, and I need to save it. Which is a very like you gotta be very sure to make that argument. But it's yeah. the one that uh that gives Slow Swift some thought. And so we we do actually get uh some some information about the way that that yeoman runs things. Uh one is that he is uh he he is somewhat of an unfaltering believer in the Lord ruler, despite Vin's objection that he's dead, and Slow Swift says so is Kelsier, and people believe in him.
1: Good point.
2: <laughs> yeah, Vin, Vin just is like, yeah, yeah, that's fair.
0: <laughs> okay, okay, sure. <laughs> um and and Slow Swift says that devotion of that sort can be a strength or a weakness depending on, on the situation. Uh, another point is uh, his wealth, which doesn't sound like a weakness, uh, but we also learned that his wealth is uh, apparently somewhat difficult to explain, uh, as if it had come from some single secret source, like perhaps a cache of Atium, maybe.
2: The cache, he's gotta have
0: it, 100% and with that slow swift decides that uh we're done
2: i love him like giving the thing about the the riches and then he goes oh you liked that answer cool uh mm-hmm. maybe I uh, try to give less away
0: yeah he's he's good at what he does uh, on the way on the way out they have a uh, a bit of a negotiation where she is about to just leave uh and, and he says you know I, I would appreciate being paid for this. And and she tries to to go back to his words of stories shouldn't cost. Uh, and he says, No, the story shouldn't be a cost. Uh, and and my stories do have a cost, because if they didn't, they'd be worthless. And so she she does in fact pay for the information she has received, and then heads out.
2: The distinction feels almost Kelsier-esque of <laughs> you said it shouldn't cost. No, I said it shouldn't be a cost, but it should still cost something. Uh just like a little like twist onwards. Uh mm-hmm. it reminded me of of the Kelsier days of him going, ah no, it's not quite what I said.
0: So heading on from Slow Swift's home, uh Vin does a, a little bit of, of scouting around to make sure that she's not being followed. Uh and then gets ready to head off to the uh, the next informant on her list uh, a man named hoyd and hoyd. everybody hmm. everybody's attention perks up well, and then fun name. she gets a bad feeling about it and goes the other way
1: <laughs> he fails the vibe check <laughs>
0: I,
2: I do have to ask, is this the thing you've mentioned a couple of times, Justin, of Hoyd shows up, expects something to happen and then nothing does? Because that sure seems like what happened from his point
0: of view here. I don't actually think that's the case. Uh, I will say there is a reason that Hoyd fails the vibe check here, but we will learn it much, much later. But yeah, that is uh that is going to be it for the um the informants for the night uh because finn does some some more direct scouting of her own to go find the the canton buildings that yeoman is using as a a kind of headquarters uh and then she realizes that she thinks she's being followed and we have another return of a uh, uh unusual and familiar uh figure Uh, because this is the mist spirit or something It, it feels strange but it was uh unusual elementic circumstances and vin has to kind of uh cut her losses and head back to to ellen's camp
2: a very very good detail here um in the first couple pages of this chapter it mentions A lot of the soldiers talked about how chilly it was getting, but Vin pretty much never feels the cold because of her pewter. And then in the last sentence of this chapter, confused and chilled, she pushed herself out of the city. Mm. Um, Very good little uh, callback to she does feel cold inside when the mist spirit is around. At least we think it's the mist spirit.
0: Hmm. Vin's not even sure. It, It felt somewhat like that,
3: but also it's been a while and And there was maybe maybe some difference there. She is pretty sure that it's not ruin, and as we learned from last book, uh Vin's instincts as to who is secretly who are surprisingly <laughs> good. I mean, she overlooks the obvious, but she was not wrong
2: I, I was going to say are are they
3: well, she wasn't wrong in in her assertions. it wasn't Docs, and it wasn't uh Demo. So when when she states a negative, then it's okay. <laughs> that's right. Ignore the positive, okay. trust the negative.
2: Okay. So if she were to say there if she were to list anything that's not in the secret cache, she would be correct, but because she does think the Atium is there, it can't be.
3: Exactly. Well, it it can't <laughs> not be. I mean, it, it could it could be um but her saying it doesn't mean it is. Gotcha.
2: It's not that she's wrong. It's just that we should not pay attention to the positives. Got it. I
3: like I'm just establishing a lore here. Uh, yeah,
0: I'm thoroughly <laughs> lost in this whole thing. We have uh, we have one more chapter to get through. And uh, with my glancing at our recording time, we should uh, continue on with that. Uh, our last epigraph is uh, one more... Uh, thought on the the blending of old cultures and the way that the final empire was constructed uh, which is that rashik had a uh, a pretty heavy hand in the way that technology uh, developed particularly gunpowder because he saw the the effects of gunpowder weaponry in the hands of relatively untrained uh, rebels and did not want to get shot and so took actions that he could to kind of uh, suppress that. So, yeah, gunpowder exists. Guns exist. That's, that's news. <laughs> sure is. You know, for, for an empire a thousand years old, you'd think they would have uh, developed a bit beyond the kind of fancy medieval
2: yeah but it does actually bring up um something i don't remember if i actually brought this up at any point in final empire but i did have the thought of if you have Alamancers, would you really have the need for guns i mean there's plenty of other technology that you think would advance but i thought back to legend of korra which does have a good amount of technology but no guns because you just have metal benders all over the place so there's not like anything that you could achieve with a gun is achieved by other things already Um, so I think it is very interesting to explore what technology progresses and what doesn't in a, in a magic world. Um, but now the added lore of guns did exist and the Lord ruler didn't like that, um, is also very interesting.
0: Uh, and our final chapter here of the section is the only one that follows directly from the previous, uh, because we are now, uh, back at Ellen's camp. Vin gets to talk over the things that, uh, that she had seen. And the the most pressing thing is the one that we ended the last chapter with, which is what was it that Vin sensed that uh that scared her off right at the end?
3: And this chapter is ghostwritten by Oscar Wilde. Let's just get a little silly with it, you know? So serious <laughs> all the time. I mean, we we start with
0: uh with Ellen uh describing the mist spirit as uh you know i'm the one who walked right up to it telling you that i felt it was friendly that was right about the time it stabbed me
3: (laughs) off to a roaring start you could tell that he wrote this chapter in in a different mindset than. this was written on a different day is what i'm saying
2: yeah, I don't know if this is meant to be a criticism on your part, Sam, but one of the reason I did really like this chapter is because, like, yeah, this is the, the there are some some important discussions in this chapter for sure, but it is one of the first times that we've had the characters just kind of like have a normal conversation and be like a little bit relaxed. Um, and yeah, I actually really enjoyed the the little kind of uh, a, a couple of bright lights we get in this chapter um, to to contrast from the darkness we've been seeing.
3: Oh, absolutely. I think it's I think it's great and I think that this is something that we needed because it was just dark yeah. depressing mm-hmm. 24/7 before this, but um but it is interesting because it just kind of appears. <laughs> yeah, no, I get you. So they are uh
0: they're starting to try to to break down what it is that they know about uh the mist spirit, the mists, fa- uh Fadrex, all that. Uh, vin is quite sure though we just discussed what that means or doesn't mean uh, that the mist spirit itself is not what is causing the deaths in the mist those are two separate things in her mind we also have uh, vin kind of confronting out loud to ellen to someone she trusts very much uh, the reality of what we saw just in the last chapter with slow swift with her her saying i am going to save the world and and therefore implicitly i am the hero of ages and that is a uh that's a heavy thing to bear so we have this leading into uh some some uh i I like this introspection from ellen of The thing that he needs to do here, if we are in a place where Vin is going to be saying honestly to herself that I am the hero of ages, then he needs to help her save the world. And in this case, that is by giving her the support she needs.
1: Yeah, I love that little turn of just, he didn't need to be this, he didn't need to be that. He needed to be a good husband. And just, like absolutely throwing his support behind her which makes her smile and suddenly ellen felt as if the world had been put back together just a bit like i care about them so deeply and i this this yeah. little section dis distills it down
2: yeah this is that's that's a really good moment it's really good
1: <laughs> and i think it like kind of tracks that all of the like you know, we had the one zinger about that was right about the time it stabs me, but the humor comes after this moment where they've, like, sort of... It's weird to say reconciled because they... Right, they weren't fighting. fighting. Yeah, but after they've, like, recommitted a little bit is is when they are able to relax and start joking around again.
3: Yeah, this is a a sort of a clicking moment that we've been waiting for. We're just... (laughs) Suddenly, they shift their perception just a little bit, and now they're seeing more eye to eye. It's great, and uh, yeah, now getting
0: into some of the uh, the funnier moments and some of the the banter, uh, where uh, Ellen leads this this point with "I constantly thought about how strange you were," <laughs> which. Uh, you know, Vin is is not impressed by the romance of, and and he's like, okay, look, admit it, you're a little weird, right? <laughs> um, and then has the, uh, I I'm assuming this was the line at which point you made your note about Oscar Wilde, Sam, uh, of of Ellen observing that uh, you've managed in three short years to kill not only my god, but my father, my brother, and my fiance, which is some sort of homicidal hat trick. <laughs>
3: Yep, that whole paragraph, uh, including the uh, the strange mixture of a noblewoman, street urchin, and a cat, I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. couldn't couldn't <laughs> say it better myself. That's pretty much just been.
0: Uh, there is there is actually an entire annotation on the homicidal hat trick line, uh, because Brandon's editor wanted him to cut it, uh, not because it was like too clever or or like not right for the scene but because he didn't think that the phrase hat trick made sense in a fantasy book hockey
2: hockey doesn't exist
0: yeah uh and (laughs) brandon did five minutes of wikipedia research and found that uh in as early as the 19th century uh there were references to a hat trick of winning three games of chance in a row uh and he said that is enough. Plus, I just really like the line, we're keeping it.
2: Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, homicidal hat trick is also my new band name. Uh, of course. So please don't steal
1: that. tm
0: <laughs> But yeah, they, they are they are still stuck in this this tricky problem. Like the fact that they are working together again. Like like you said, they weren't ever, you know, angry or split apart or anything, but it was there was a tension there. And they they are in a better place now, but they still can't really work directly together as they want to because of the paranoia about Ruin.
2: Yeah, she does finally bring up the the extra thing she saw on the plate, which I think does ask the question of... Maybe it was she didn't know if she could trust Ellen with that information, but still a little weird of, why didn't you just show it to him originally? Um, Yeah. (laughs) But I... I do I love the idea of like yeah they weren't fighting but now they're on the same page and it is both funny and clever of Vin to say all right I'm gonna work on this I can't tell you anything about the plan because of the way ruin works Um, I do love that I do wonder if you're still at least slightly playing your hand a little bit if you're still saying out loud I am thinking of a secret plan to fight inflation uh, that Ruin can't (laughs) know about like at the very least, now you know Ruin knows to suspect that you're up to something. Whereas if you never brought that up at all, you would be able to keep it a big surprise. Um,
0: yeah, it's a it's a dangerous game.
2: It's dangerous, but I do still appreciate um, Vin saying, just trust me. I'm going to work on this on my own. Um, and Ellen says, all right, yeah, that's I do trust you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's
0: fun. Leading then to the end of the chapter... Uh, if they are going to attempt diplomacy uh, Vin thinks that uh, maybe they could attempt diplomacy in person perhaps by attending one of these balls that is getting thrown which Ellen thinks is a ludicrous idea and then says but it sounds cool so let's do it <laughs>
3: What a power move. It absolutely is.
2: You you mentioned earlier, Beth, about how um, this book feels like it's hearkening back and calling back to a lot of things in Final Empire as kind of a way of bookending things. And I'm very excited for this plot line because it feels like a very good distillation of that. It, it, was, it was one of those things of, I feel like Brandon had the idea of Vin and Ellen should go to a ball again. And... I feel like it takes a lot of legwork. It should take a lot of legwork to make that make sense when the end of the world is happening. And yet when they came up with the plan, I was like, Oh my God, that's perfect. That's, that's amazing. That's great. Like he did. He said that legwork yeah. perfectly. Um, and I'm very excited uh, for that aspect of the Mistborn series to come back. I think this is really clever and really fun.
0: Not going to say anything specific, but there are a couple of moments coming up that are I I'm going to speak for Beth here some of our favorite just individual moments in this series. You're correct. Perfect. <laughs> but the the end of our segment is uh Vin having a a devastating realization if we're going to go to a ball she needs a gown.
1: <laughs> this was the only moment where I felt it was it this was Actually, pushing the tone a little bit because that little, like, I didn't bring a gown, but uh, but like your little jingle plays and you cut to commercial,
2: <laughs> yeah. That 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 did feel it felt very Oscar Wilde, yeah. But um, <laughs> I was the the chapter as a whole is still fun enough that I'll give it a pass.
0: Oh, yeah, so yeah, that is we're going to end despite all of the uh the, the continued. Like When they arrived at Fadrex, at it was with the thought that we may not even be able to leave here. Uh, and yet we're going to end this segment on a hopeful note for our characters, which, which feels good. Now, the bigger questions. So yeah, we, are, uh, we, we have been traveling around the Empire a bit more. Uh, didn't really expand our cast list a lot here, uh, though I think there's a couple that we're going to have to add soon. Like obviously, we heard a lot about yeoman, but never saw the man um so we'll check in on casting to see if there are any additions or adjustments that we have to make
3: all right, so I will begin um should I just do like casting predictions and then jump to Caleb casting predictions that way
0: sure yeah why not let's uh let's go with that and uh get the, the quick cast adjustment done with, and then on to what you think is coming next.
3: All right. So, uh, casting. I only identified one new character, noteworthy new character, Mr. Slow Swift. Um, I'm going to go with Martin Sheen, Circa, Grayson Frankie. <laughs> uh, All right. Because, you know, just kind of a nice guy, like but has that sort of regal, like he's clearly nobility, but is still kind of approachable. So,
0: and he can sit there and, and tell stories and talk about stories and, and pull that off.
3: All right. Yeah. Martin Sheen. Um, and then, uh, I'll, I'll cut my, my shit post, uh, predictions, but I'll, I'll give you a little bit here. (laughs) Um, I'm going to skip discussing why 16%. Um, I think talking about 16% at this point is, to quote my notes, rock climbing without handholds. Like, there's not really a... We don't have a grip That's to fair. go off of. So That's I, fair. There's, I mean... there's a
0: rock face to climb, but you can't do anything with it yet.
1: <laughs>
0: Caleb?
3: We got <laughs> to plan our route. Caleb might have an idea.
2: I have a, I have a vague idea. It'll be quick.
3: Okay, <laughs> um, uh, so I got that. I've got a uh, wire. Terrasman not killed by the mists. I don't know. Well, I'm sure we'll find <laughs> out. Uh, does Sam care about Spook's plight as a child? I'm at like ten percent. You know, it could be worse. A little bit. It could be
2: sixteen percent, but if it's just
3: the ten, that's fine. <laughs> um, what is the mist spirit? Is it preservation? Is it Kelsier? Could it be Bowser from other video game? I, Hold I, on. There.
0: I will put different weights Wait. on those three possibilities, I'll say. Wait. <laughs>
2: what, do, what does other video game here mean? Why, just. <laughs>
3: that's it. I'll send you the reference after. But that's a quote from Oni Plays. I um, see,
2: I see. I thought you were referencing the fact that uh, this, this entire series does canonically take place within the Fortnite universe.
3: That is true. I'll see (laughs) you exactly true.
2: And he can't hurt you.
3: It can hurt you.
1: Eli, he's hurting you right now. I know it.
3: And then, uh, what's in the Fadrik City cache? And why did Sazed bring up gunpowder? And I'm assuming it's Sazed. I'm just going to say Sazed. So there we go. Uh, Okay. Um, All right. So, Spook. Let's talk Spook. Um, Spook having pewter. uh, is the blessing of potency, I think. Um, I think blessings are Um because we mentioned for the guys with blessings of potency, who um, are chondra, they have like rods in them. Rods are kind of spike-ish. So I'm thinking that blessings are, are hemorrhagical in nature. Mm-hmm. The blessing of potency is... Uh, Saving Spook because Spook surviving is good for his plan to ruin the world. Um, I don't think it's literally Kelsier I think that'd be weird, um, but I guess it's possible. Um, I think it's chosen a relevant avatar to kind of tickle Spook's insecurities. Um, just as a just as a general guidepost, I, I don't think good guys say you can be famous too. I don't know. It says you could be great. It's completely different.
1: <laughs> I'll make you famous, kid.
3: <laughs> Your name and lights, Spook. The full twelve-letter name.
1: <laughs> we'll make it fit on the Broadway marquee. <laughs> uh,
3: and I think that Spook's making a, a a heel turn sooner rather than later. I'm hoping not, but I'm thinking that Spook's gonna go rogue in some way. Um here is my uh skyhook prediction, I guess. Uh the stuff in the Federick City cache is gunpowder? Um <sighs> is what I'm thinking. <laughs> Caleb had the same idea, I guess. Yeah, you
2: said it before I did, but yeah, I was thinking the same thing.
3: <laughs> yeah. Uh I I think that that'd be interesting to have it be gunpowder because then Ellen would go, "Oh fuck, what do we do?" This is a bigger threat than I thought. Um, kind of raise the stakes a little bit. Have we tried shooting the mists? <laughs> <Have we> tried... <laughs> the swords have
1: the are useless up? against it. What about bullets?
0: The secret weakness, bullets. <laughs> Shout outs to that episode of Buffy where she decided that the prophecies protecting the demon from... Weapons had not accounted for a rocket launcher.
3: <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of a quote from the uh, Reno Nine One One movie, where a character is like, "I still have immunity, right?" And then someone says, "No immunity to bullets," and shoots him dead. <laughs> it's great, just like Ruin. Um, absolutely right. <laughs> I'll I'll truncate my shit post. Uh, sixteen percent. That's four of 25. We already went over that. 25 is a number that is one more than 24, and four is one more than three. 24 is the number of hours in a day. Skadriel is Earth, except where otherwise noted. So they probably have a 24 hour day. And as we all know, as we all know, three is a magic number. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's a magic number.
1: It's a magic number
3: that means that every 25 hours fucking
1: numerology from you today
3: (laughs) (laughs) that's right every 25 hours the mists get worse and every 4 hours the ash gets worse like clockwork in short I have no fucking clue um we'll find out (laughs) so that's that uh Caleb alright then or other people for comments I'm not
0: going to write down any of that numerological thing (laughs) No, Justin, worry, three
3: is a magic number.
0: Yes, it is. I, I admit that.
2: Can, can you at least write that part down, Justin?
0: Uh Beth has has helpfully contributed numbers. Good. And now it says three is a magic number. Okay, now we're good. all set. All right. Caleb take us away.
2: Sure. <laughs> uh, I'll try to speed through this. Um I do have a casting for Keeper Vedlu, even though he's probably never gonna come again. But I just had Bruce Dern. Good 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 actor who plays an old man really well. Um Slow Swift, my casting, does not have J.R.R. Tolkien vibes and probably not like any vibes from what people expected But I just I saw the initial description and then I pictured this person and Despite their usual performances It just kind of worked. Um, I pictured Larry David as Slow Swift and I don't know why I just I I Continued to read the chapter. I was like, yeah, I'm on board with this. This is good Um, So yeah larry david is slow swift make it happen um and then i do have a slight recasting and it might be unfair of me to do this but i do believe a particular loot crate got sent out somewhat recently um uh, that perhaps has some hoid related merch in it um i did not receive said loot crate but man, I've seen like three of my friends wearing Hoyd shirts all over the place recently, <laughs> um, and I've come to the realization that maybe Andy Circus won't quite be the best performer going forward for Hoyd. Um, so, based on what we know of Hoyd so far, as well as the shirts I saw with his face on them, and knowing that I need someone who's probably charming but can also be weird. I'm just going to go with Nathan Fillion as Hoyd for now. And we'll see if that holds true in any, in any form, if that would work. Um, <laughs> so that's who I have there. I also feel like he would be on board with just having like a three second cameo
0: in a bunch of different movies. I will say the last, like when, when Beth and I originally talked about like, there's someone else in mind. I think we also mentioned someone else we had in mind in the Cosmere for Alan Tudyk. um, this was probably like 10 years ago, so you know, appearances have changed and all that, but there, there is someone else that I was thinking Nathan Fillion could do, but I could also see him trying Hoyt. I like it. All
1: right. Is your OG Nathan Fillion casting in Warbreaker? Yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Interesting. Uh, anyways, I do have some theories. I will uh, power through them. First, uh, a question um, that I don't have any answers for. Um, I, I don't want to stir the pot. I don't want to make anyone be reminded of the worst conversation they've ever had. So this one, I'll just ask without, uh, uh, expecting any responses. Um, but, um, yeah, just a random question. Why can Vin pierce copper clouds? Are we ever going to like actually get an answer on that? Um, it's, it's, it's still, we don't quite have our answer for why Vin is as powerful as she is. Uh, some curious, uh, what, what, what's the deal with that? But I don't have any other answers. Um, I did note down Duralumin essentially can boost you to OG Allomancer levels. Um, you need Duralumin to accomplish what the original Allomancers were able to do without it. Um, so I'm curious. We have seen Ellen use Duralumin to control like a whole army of Colossus at once. I'm curious if you will discover um, that because he's eaten the chicken nugget... Um, maybe if it's not like a whole army and it's just one conjure one coloss, he'll just try using his mental allomancy and be like oh shit that worked i'm powerful enough that i can just do that without derailman um that feels like a useful skill to perhaps have uh moving on um we also had reen tempting vin to talk to ellen about the thoughts going on inside her plan which reinforces my idea that in this particular book reen is actually Ruin uh trying to fuck around um So uh, that's my thought there. Um, I also thought perhaps gunpowder is in the cache. I feel like that is, uh, Lord Ruler would consider that a valuable secret, but it's not adium because uh, Sam and I are almost positive that there's not gonna be adium in the cache. So what else could it be that the Lord Ruler found valuable? Could be gunpowder. Um, 16%, I don't know why that specific number, except maybe if the mist is intelligent and trying to hit a very specific number, maybe it's trying to just Thanos everything ahead of time. It knows that it has to cover the entire world in order to stop ruin. And so it's like, and it knows that that the world will only be able to sustain a certain amount of people. And so it goes, if I just kill them now, it's going to make it way less painful later on. So 16%, I'm just going to, I'm just going to pick 16% of these people. And then by the time I'm done, everyone else will be able to survive just fine. Um, I feel like if the if the deepness uh, slash mist is intelligent, it also knows that just objectively the terrorist people are probably pretty important, and they have a bunch of records that need to be kept. Um, so just as a as a precaution, it's just like I'm not gonna mess with them. They're gonna be fine. Um, alternatively, if this is not an intelligent process, um, is worth noting that it is possible that an entire people could just be immune to a certain disease of some kind. So that is a possibility. Quick drink of water. (laughs) All right. What did I get excited about this time?
0: What did you get excited about this time?
2: I figured out why Spook can use Pewter. Um, It's a little, I got a little embarrassed with myself because I definitely had all the clues I needed last time, but they lined up a little more specifically this time um, because of the chapter where he is examining his sword wound. Um, as, as has been pointed out, um, sure is kind of spike-like that there is a sword inside of him that perhaps is hemallergic-esque, um, but going back to my theory of how hemallergy works, that's not just a random sword he got stabbed with, that sword definitely got stabbed through someone who could use pewter, and then got stabbed into spook. Um, Ooh. so... I feel like my thoughts on hemolurgy—if you spike through a person and then into another person, the second person can get the powers of the first person. I feel like that holds pretty true because that's exactly what just happened to Spook. Is he got the power of pewter after being stabbed with a sword that had stabbed a pewter user? Wow! Um, so, I like that. yeah, yeah, I was uh, I, as when I clicked for me, I was like, ooh, yeah, yeah, got it. Um, pretty feeling, pretty dang confident about that one. Um, I am curious because Kelsier slash Ruin is, um, really playing up the fact of like, I gifted this to you. This is my gift to you. Um, I'm curious if he is just working the crowd really well. He saw an opportunity and took it, or perhaps if Ruin actually affected that fight itself. Um, because it does feel it's in the moment. It was like, oh, the guards are being so brutal, but it's not very tactically efficient to stab through one of your fellow guards just to try and stab someone else. I feel like the risk-reward there is not really worth it. So I'm curious if perhaps there was an outside force either telling that guard, hey, you should you should definitely stab that guy and then stab the guy behind him. Um, or perhaps if Ruin has control over some kind of alimantic power, perhaps he could have pushed the sword forward himself. Um, I don't quite know exactly what went down, um, but it is a little bit weird that Ruin is taking credit for something that um, I, I feel like fully was scientifically because the sword went through a pewter guy and then into spook. Um, and then my last kind of question going forward of things I'll be looking out for um, is that uh, with this in mind, uh, if I'm correct as to how hemolurgy works, um, it is interesting to note Um, we've gotten a little bit of discussion, not a lot, but a little bit of focus on the fact that, um, got pelted with his own rings and then they were inside him for a while. And then he was like, I don't want those in me anymore. Take those out. And he got them removed. I'm curious if those rings were to get stabbed or implanted into someone else, would they be able to get ferrochemical powers? Um, I think that would be really interesting. And I, I'm just like. I am now like keeping an eye out for any time metal goes through someone into someone else, and there we have an example of that metal was inside of Saisa's body and got all of his blood on it. Um, so I'm curious if if those will come in handy, if those will be a secret tool that will help us later as well, um, <laughs> or perhaps hurt us later. I don't know what the deal with the rings is, but I, I am i I have noted that they did definitely stab through Saisa already. Um, so. Uh, yeah, that's all I got.
0: So I'm going to ponder cosmically on some of your theories as if I <laughs> did not, like, if I had a bunch of cosmere knowledge and then was reading these for the first time, or like listening to what you just suggested for, for the first time, uh, because in at least, it, I think in most um, magic in the cosmere, uh intent with a capital i is is a a component of it there is something about like what you are trying to do uh one of the things that we've seen elementically with intent is the way that steel pushes and iron pulls work on an object and like how how they get directed to the center of an object is based on how you're like picturing that object basically which is how people who are very, very skilled with iron and steel can do things like Kelsier did, where he could spin a bar in the air by both pushing and gonna pulling say, on it.
2: That that moment always stood out to me as a little weird because I do think when Vin is first learning, she's like, "Yeah, the line goes to the center of mass of the object," and so when it's if specified,
0: you're really good, it's a thing you can do. So what I would be thinking about is how much intent is there in hemalurgy, and like. Mm-hmm. what is a spike, and what is <laughs> stabbing someone with a spike? You know what I mean? Like, w- w- how how broad are those categories?
1: What am stabbing someone with a spike? <laughs> yeah, where,
2: where do we draw the line on stabbing people with spikes? I, I see what you mean, yeah.
0: <laughs> and, like, I'm not saying that to discredit your theory. I'm saying that, like, that is... Coming at this in a totally different direction—that is, like, what I would be trying to puzzle out to see if your theory then does work.
2: Also, yeah, I am. I am still excited if this is the case, rather than um, frustrated. But yes, I am also still fully on board with says as the epigraph writer. I've never wavered from that.
3: Well, you did, but then you unwavered. And respect to you for unwavering. You got to get a good unwaver sometimes. I think it was episode zero when I, I shook you for a second, but then you went right back on.
2: Well, yes, so. you sh- yes. I mean, as soon as I came up with the, the actual like theory with evidence backing it up, I haven't wavered from it is was what I meant, but fair enough.
3: Yeah. Well I'm not I'm not trying to, to nick points from you. I mean you've been like you get the Saizad points if it is Sazed. <laughs> so You called the shot ahead of me. All right.
0: Yeah, that was uh, that was a lot to get through. I am glad that we got through it all, but uh, yeah, definitely a, a lot to to keep track of as we had to rapid fire through a whole bunch of uh, different scenes there. There's
1: a lot of book in this book. A
0: lot of book
2: in this book. There sure is there's a lot more book in this book to go. <laughs> Where do we go next? Justin? There is
0: <laughs> going next. Oh. We are uh, we're turning down the chapter count dial, though it's actually about as big of a section as we just did. Uh, with five chapters here, twenty-nine through thirty-three, uh, to finish up part two. So we'll be once again wrapping up a, a segment in in three parts uh, to to finish that off, and then see where we go from there. Uh, the other places that we go from here are to our own website. Uh, we probably don't have to, but you might uh, to alwaysanotherpodcast.com to. Listen to all of these episodes. Share them with your friends if if you'd like to. We appreciate it. Uh, you can send emails to us at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com. Uh, we appreciate checking those. We've got some some thoughts that we'll be checking back in on as we make progress through Hero of Ages. So uh, I'd like to see that. Uh, a bit more up to the moment, you can find us on Instagram at always another pod or on twitter at always another pod usually discussing some of the things that we have uh, been going over in the recent episodes
1: also we are recording on a bit of a buffer we're working ahead a little bit so if you email us and it seems like we're ignoring you i promise we're not <laughs> yes it's just us from the past
0: talking <laughs> correct so yeah uh given the lateness of the hour and the length of this episode. I'm going to be very unfunny and brief in our sign-off. Thank you for listening. <laughs> we will see you next week. <laughs>
2: Goodbye. Give me the glory.
1: <laughs> yeah, say your prayers before bed. <laughs>